Our first lesson is about God's promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm reading verses 1 through to 17. So 2 Samuel 7 from verse 1. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up, Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them any more as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings. You are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called God, the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, My name's Andrew, I'm a member of staff here, especially if it's your uh, first time with us. I just wanna add my welcome to the welcome I'm sure you've received as you come through the door this morning. Hannah already introduced uh, well that we carrying on in our series of the Apostles' Creed last week, we began with the first line of the Creed, obviously, which begins with God the Father. And um, this week, God the Son, um, Jesus Christ. And I've selected Luke chapter 1 that Lucy just read for us because it really does seem to pack in so many of the things that the Apostles' Creed kind of picks up in it in its second statement. And um, as an introduction, what I did was a little bit of research about um, the birth narratives or any kind of prediction um, surrounding the leaders of other great world religions. And in particular, I just chose two, um, the largest, um, Muhammad and Gautama Buddha, so the founder, obviously, of Islam and the founder of Buddhism. And I really have to say, unfortunately, there's not much there because it doesn't help me with my introduction, right? So my introduction is a little bit thin because this is what I found out about Muhammad's birth. Prior to his birth, Amina, his mother, also dreamt that she gave birth to a tremendous light that extended to the palaces of Busra in Syria. That's Muhammad. Um, And about Siddhartha, or Gautama Buddha, legend has it that on the night Siddhartha was conceived, Queen Maya dreamt that a white elephant with six white tusks entered her right side, and 10 months later, Siddhartha was born. According to later biographical legends, during his birth celebrations, the hermit seer Asita journeyed from his mountain abode analyzed the child for the 32 marks of a great man and then announced that he would either become a great king or a great religious leader. So by comparison, the claims about Jesus Christ pre-birth are just so massively, infinitely greater um, than these things that have been able to be said about Muhammad and about the Buddha. Um, The virgin... Mary's son. So he will be miraculously conceived and human by virtue of his mum. This Jesus will be the eternal king 
on David's throne. So he will be Lord and Saviour forever. And this Jesus will be the Holy Son of God. Um, It's another way of helping us understand that Jesus will be God himself. So before his birth, Jesus is and will be the Christ, the Lord, the Saviour. And he alone, therefore, has power in the universe actually to save people. And we see in Mary's beautiful example that the right response is to humbly receive him and serve him and bow down and worship him. So that that is why we say we not only believe in God the Father, but we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Please join me. Let's pray um, that God would help us by his spirit now to really grasp these wonderfully, brilliantly large things and believe Jesus, the Christ. Please join me and let's pray. Lord, thanks for getting us here this morning. Thanks for helping us get through the cold. Father, thank you that Jesus is human and so can identify with us and take our sin dying for us. Thank you that Jesus is Lord over us, that he rules now, Lord, that he's risen and that he is God for us. Please help us to see these things now, Lord, and believe them in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first point that I wanted to make this morning is Jesus is human. Jesus is human. So he miraculously enters the world through a womb, a human womb, and then through a birth canal. So he comes to us through one of us to become like us. And so I'm thinking here of the first verses of Luke chapter 1, and I'm reading from verse 26. So if you've got a Bible, you might like to open it. Um, The words will come up on the screen, of course, but I think I'm finding more and more as I use my electronic Bible, it's good to be flicking around through a paper Bible from time to time to remember where stuff is, because I get lost in the digital world. So this is Luke chapter 1, and I'm reading from verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. So a couple of things to note um, that help us understand the humanness of Jesus. Mary is an historic human woman. She lives in a town that we know of that really not only still exists, but existed, Nazareth, in a region of Israel called Galilee. Um, Well documented in the Bible, but well known outside of the scriptures. So she, she is an historic human woman. And Mary is part of the historic Jewish people. Um, Her fiancé is Joseph. So his name alone kind of tracks us back into Jewish history. Um, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and one of Jacob's sons was Joseph. So Mary's husband is named after one of their forefathers of the Jewish people. Now, Joseph is in the line of King David. 
And so this takes us back again into Jewish history, not so far back as Joseph, but David was the guy who really did bring together God's purposes for his people in the place around the temple in the land of Israel. And so Mary and Joseph exist within this context. It's a long history. And now it's also a recent history of silence because they've been waiting for 400 years since the last time God spoke to them. And that makes the beginning of this time even more spectacular because if you want to reread the beginning of Jesus' life, especially in the first couple of chapters of Luke, there's just a spectacular kind of presence of God through the angelic visiting, which is just this massive signpost saying, it's on. (laughs) After 400 years of silence, it's really back on in a very, very big way. Another reason that we kind of see Jesus' humanity is through Mary and Joseph actually fulfilling God's historic commands. And this is what I mean. She's promised to him for marriage, but there's been no sexual relationship yet. This is something that God had prescribed in his law, and they were living it out in a faithful, historic, human way. But at the same time, that we can say Mary is, sorry, and one, one more thing. Mary is a human woman like any other. She is not perfect. She is not sinless. She is in need of God's favour. And, and we see that when the angel describes her, Mary, you who are highly favoured, that is, the grace and the unmerited kindness of God is actually being shown towards you. He doesn't say, you are full of grace. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. It's not what's being expressed here. No, no. The favor of God is coming to you. And I'll say a little bit more about that in just a moment. But Mary is also unlike any other because this birth sets her, and in particular her baby, well, well apart. So I guess in the descriptions of Muhammad's birth, but also the Buddha's birth, There is the spectacular, there is the miraculous there, but in biblical history, births of this nature are kind of there in in a slightly different way. So Mary exists in the line of women who are unable to have children, but then God intervenes. But their story is a little little bit different, but it still helps us to understand how special this birth is. You might remember Genesis chapter 15, Sarah and Abraham are getting old and they have not been able to have the child that God promised them, still yet to come. And God says to Abraham, Sarah will have a child. They both laugh and that's why you get the name Isaac, which means he laughs. It's a reminder that they thought what the Lord was saying to them was a joke, but when God says something, it's as good as done. Rebecca, who married Isaac, she couldn't have children. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 25. God enables her to have Jacob. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah is unable to have a child. And she is praying silently in her spirit to the Lord. And he answers her prayer of a child. But it seems like in those cases, God enables sexual reproduction to occur normally. In Mary's case, it's very, very, very clear She is a virgin, she is a virgin, she is a virgin. We hear that three times. So 
This marriage has not yet been consummated. And this sets us up to see that what's happening with Mary is a miraculous fulfillment of what God had promised. Have a look at Isaiah chapter 7. I think if Graham's done his work quickly, we might see that. Graham, yep, you're working on it. That's good. Yes, very good, champion. But let me read it for you. Isaiah chapter 7, I'm reading from verse 10. And this is in a moment of God's people really under the judgment of God. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God's saying, I'm, I'm going to send a sign to you people and that eventually this is ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus as we understand it, especially through Matthew, that what God promised to his people as a sign of his presence in judging and saving power is coming true in the Lord Jesus, part of God ensuring salvation to his people and through his people to the rest of us. So just a, a couple of reflections before I go on. This child will be greater than any other, hands down, for sure. And I think it's a bit of an oblique reference to something that's said in a Narnia book, but I think it's safe to say what's coming into the womb of Mary is greater than the universe, if we can reconcile those two thoughts, right? Something so human and preciously and intimately human, but larger than the world itself is coming. This child will be greater than any other. He's a miraculous gift to us, through us, to be one of us. And so Jesus is human, and Phil pointed, out that, pointed, pointed that out really well. It's important that he is human because not only can he identify with us, but he can actually die for us. Have a listen to the words of Hebrews chapter 2. And I'm reading from verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And then verse 17. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. He is one of us. But the final point of application, just reflecting on Mary, and this will be more important to some of you if you come from a Roman Catholic background, because you'll know that in Roman Catholicism, Mary's status is really quite elevated. So at times she can be referred to as the Queen of Heaven and as the Co-Redeemer. And so it seems at times she, her status can be above Jesus or equal to the Lord Jesus. But what we see here in her humanness, which helps us understand Jesus' humanity, is that she's not being referred to as the Queen of Heaven. She's not being understood as being sinless. She is not the co-redeemer. She is favoured. And she needs that grace 
just like the rest of us. And as we'll see in conclusion, her beautiful response is an example to us because the right response to the coming king is humble service. (laughs) And that's what she does as she bows to serve him and receive him and therefore shows the rest of us what we should do too in the face of this coming king. So Jesus is human. But this baby will be over us. So Jesus is King, Saviour, Lord. And let's have a look from verse 29 of Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Of course you would be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. A bit of history. When Jesus was born, Israel was ruled over by Rome and in particular at that time by Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus had taken his first name from his adopted father, Julius Caesar. But he had taken up or allowed to be given to him the name Augustus. Now, when when this is translated, it translates roughly as the powerful ruler exalted or the exalted king. (laughs) Okay? And because of Caesar Augustus' powerful rule, he was, an, he was an exceptional ruler and, in fact, benefited many, many people under his rule because he established what was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, which allowed many people to get on with their lives as long as you didn't trouble his rule. And that developed into an imperial cult. Because people considered him to be, to be so great and he was doing such a good job, they began to attribute godly divine power to him, saying that he had the divine right to rule. And so this context is really, really important for us to understand the largeness of the announcement that's being made through the angel. First of all, a messenger from God turns up, so the divine breaks in to the human. But... Get what he says? In the world ruled by the God-man Caesar Augustus, Mary's child is a threat to Caesar's rule even before he is born. Because you can't have two kings, can you, (laughs) in an empire? You can't have two Caesars, and there really only is one true exalted powerful ruler, and the angel says, guess who it is? It's not that guy in Rome. It's this baby who's going to be born to you. And her baby is really a threat to all of us because what the titles of Jesus are about to remind us is that he rules and we don't. (laughs) That he must be allowed to rule over us and we must give up our desire for self-rule. So let's just consider for a moment some of the massive things that are actually being said about him and not about Caesar Augustus. First of all, um, this is 
a God-determined baby. God has done the family planning, okay? Because the angel turns up and says, she will have a child. Mary, you will have a child. Secondly, the baby's name is also chosen. And it's a very significant thing, isn't it? Especially in, in some cultures, I don't know how well you considered the names of your kids if you have children and why you named them what you did. Um, I do remember a brother in Christ um, from Albania that I knew in Italy, and I don't know why um, he chose to name one of his boys Hercules. But very sadly, it just ended up being that this boy was very, very sickly and the opposite of what Hercules perhaps was like in the mythical world of the gods. But God says, Mary, you're to call him Jesus. Yahweh, Joshua, Yahweh is salvation. Okay? So the name Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, means God saves. So the initial indication in the naming of this child is that he is going to be in some way the agent of God's salvation. And then we see that this baby's greatness is certain because one of his titles will be Son of the Most High. So he's just loading it on. And the significance of really being the Son of the Most High there, it's, it's kind of drawing back into to many different things. But one thing we can say is that the children of Israel, the people of God, um, were considered his son, the people to whom he had given birth. And then we can go on. This baby will rule because he is going to be the king, the Christ, the anointed one. And that's referencing back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, which we heard read for us before. And it's quite spectacular, isn't it? Even that moment in and of itself, I'd encourage you to go back and read 2 Samuel 7. But what's happened is this. God has allowed David to be the, the military ruler over Israel, really drawing the 12 tribes together and establishing himself and God's worship in Jerusalem. But the ark is still in a tent. David's living in a palace and David thinks, that's not right. That's got to change. Um, let me build a temple or a palace at least for God to live in alongside me. And God says to him, great thought, really good idea. Um, it's not going to be your job. There's someone coming, one of your sons, who will have that task. And as time goes on and you read through the history of Israel, you think, oh, it's going to be Solomon. And he fails. And then it's going to be Rehoboam or Jeroboam. But they fail. And you keep reading the depressing history of the kings of Israel and you realize we're still waiting. But God has made a promise that one of your sons, David, will be the eternal king on this eternal throne. And the angel says, Mary, it's going to be your baby. It's going to be this Jesus, the Christ. And this baby's authority will be absolute. Lord. He will rule over Jacob's descendants. And it kind of tags us in also to understand he's going to, he's going to have a world impact, a universal impact, because God had said to Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. I'm going to bless you, but through them, I'm going to bless the world. And this son of Mary, 
His kingdom will never end. And we know, we know that that has come to pass, don't we now? So I wanted to read um, Matthew 28 and a little bit of Acts chapter 2 together to get a feel for why that can be something that we would want to really say, yes, that is right. So have a look with me. Matthew chapter 28. And I'm reading from verse 18. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is what Peter starts preaching in Acts chapter 2. So have a look with me there, Acts chapter 2, from 29. Peter says, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And then from verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So here are the bookends. The announcement by the angel... This Jesus will be the eternal king on the eternal throne and the confirmation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, it's him. It's him. Now, neither Mary nor Jesus have been sitting down at any point and we don't get the sense that they ever do this. They're not sitting down with a careers advisor trying to work out what Jesus' future is going to look like. You know, based on what he's done so far and his characteristics and his, you know, what he's good at, what do you think he should do? There's none of that, Right? Um, And I don't know about you, you know, uh, when you've had kids and you've been thinking about what their their future would look like and praying over it, um, there is none of that here. (laughs) Mary is just being told, this is what it's going to be like, because God has already determined what this child will be. And they're not sitting around asking Caesar's permission. Um, So do you think it might be, okay, if this kid here might... No, there's absolutely none of that. This is just a blunt heralding. Here is the power of all powers, and he's coming to you, through you, to the rest of us. And it's not rags to riches, but it's God the Saviour, King and Lord at his birth. The Christmas carol reminds us of that. Jesus, Lord at his birth. And there's a certain ID Jesus is that powerful, gracious Saviour, King and Lord. Here's a little bit of application before we go on. I really love the fact that Jesus is expressed to be so powerful and so wonderful and so large and he was going to come to Mary and not destroy her. This King, this Christ, this Lord comes to Mary and doesn't blow her away. And it's not just a, not just a use and throw her away either. <laughs> It's just this amazing combination of the power of God 
with gentleness and lowliness and humility (laughs) to love people who need him, the very people that he has actually created in the first place. And here we're almost going back to the garden because we're seeing exactly what the Lord had purposed for his people right at the start. Intimacy and relationship where his power is able to be fully exposed to them and they live with joy. And his saving rule is going to be through her and to her and for us. So this baby will rule over us And this is my third point, rightly, because he is God. Jesus is God. Let's read from verse 34. Luke chapter 1 from verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? It's a very different response compared to Zachariah's response where he goes, that's impossible. And the angel says, all right, mate, no more talking for you for a little while and I'll show you who's boss. And Mary says, okay, no worries, just tell me how. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And there's even more evidence of this uh, just going on in the rest of her family. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. So the angel's massive emphasis is on God's power. Holy Spirit power of the most high the holy one to be born and then the word of god is going to make this happen so we've got a bit of a combo of how but also what it means then for jesus identity on the how side of things doesn't this throw us back to genesis chapter one in the beginning god created and how well the holy spirit was there hovering overshadowing present from the mind of God, through the word of God, to create. Miraculous and mighty. And the pure, holy, righteous power of God will conceive this baby Mary will bear. So I think we've got a bit of a Trinitarian moment, actually. Once again, God the Father will bring about God the Son's conception by God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy One to be born will be the Son of God in the flesh, able to save and again just another moment of God's presence being with his people in a way that actually blesses them if you want to do some more reading afterwards have a look at 1 Kings chapter 8 Solomon gets around to building the temple he dedicates the temple glory of God comes and it's so wonderful and so great the priests can't do their ministering anymore but God is there dwelling with his people now here's I think where the rubber starts to hit the road for us And it's helpful to keep in mind some of the the birth stories or the pre-birth stories of Muhammad and Buddha. Because to say Jesus is God's son is to say that he shares in the divinity of his father. So to see the son is to see the father. To see Jesus is to see God. And I think philosopher, skeptic John Hick summed it up. And here's the comparison If Jesus was God in the flesh, Christianity is the only religion founded by God in the person and must be superior to all others. So there's a statement to wrestle with for yourself, but also when you're in conversation with other people. 
I think it's worth actually doing some backgrounding yourself about other religions and reading up on what they actually do say. But like Hick has helpfully reflected, no one is saying this. And if it's true, this is a category stratospherically above. But here's where it really gets good. If Jesus is God, and if to see Jesus is to see God, then Jesus' capacity to connect us with God is not just impressive, it's unique. As Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But to put it a different way, I am the way and the truth and the life. You can come to the Father through me. Jesus is God for us. So what's the right response? Well, serving Jesus Christ. Have a look at verse 38. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Our sister Mary leads the way. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So what God has been working on through history in his creation of the first person then in the redeeming and the recreation of his people Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph then in the regathering of his people under David he's been heading for this time he has been preparing for the arrival of his king and Christ and our Lord and Saviour Jesus to be humbly received, and that's what Mary's response shows us. How do we respond? We believe the word of God, and we realise that Jesus is the king to whom we need to bow and whom we need to serve. And it's not a drudgery. On one hand, she says, my whole life... My mind as I hear the word, my body as it's going to be made available to the Lord, and my lips, which are going to praise him, they're all at the disposal and the service of this son that I am going to bear, of this king and saviour and Lord. And I wanted to finish with her words from verse 46. It's so good. This song, really, really famous. And it just, just highlights how wonderful it actually is when any one of us would humbly submit to Christ the King. Luke chapter 1 from verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So the call on our lives is the same. And in fact, we're remembering that each week when we say the creed. <laughs> and we're remembering that... Trusting the Lord Jesus and serving the Lord Jesus is life itself. So let's pray that it would be for us before we stand and say the creed together. Please join me and let's pray. Father, thank you that you show your fullness to us in the Lord Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we see you. 
When we trust Jesus, Father, we are trusting you. When we understand Jesus, we understand you. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to be fully human, one of us. Thank you, Lord, you sent Jesus to be Saviour and Lord Christ over us. And thank you, Lord, that you sent Jesus, your Son, God, for us. So please help us to trust in him too, we pray, and give us that joy of salvation and knowing you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.